Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Anne Ho Chong Dikpu, uh, who's the founder of Lago, a YC backed company, uh, and was earlier uh, working with McKinsey, and she was VP Growth and the first employee at Quanto, uh, which was a unicorn startup, um, and uh, has done her uh, master's from ESCP Europe. And a big thanks to Evgenia uh, Plotnikova uh, from Dawn Capital for the introduction. Uh, welcome to the show, Anne. Hi. Thank you for, ha- for having me. Awesome. So, uh, so Anne, you, you've been, uh, you, you know, in the, in the European startup ecosystem for close to a decade now. You know, how did you get into this crazy world of startups? Yeah, so I after business school, I was interested in like fintech, but in Africa. So weirdly enough, like there was more fintech in Africa than in Europe. Um, in like 2011, it was more about like mobile financial services for the end banks. So I went to Africa and I worked on the ground, like launching like mobile financial services. And then I kind of missed my country. So I'm. Um, my parents are Vietnamese, but I, I, I grew up in France. This okay. is where my life is. Uh, so I went back to Paris um, and tried to like find the same excitement about like launching new projects. I wasn't really successful at, at finding a project. So I, I got an offer from McKinsey to do management consulting, and I thought it was a good company to join. There were like, a lot of smart people, and I made like, amazing friends there. But I really missed the part where you can have like strategy and implementation in like short like feedback loops. Um, and I felt like startups were a good place to go. And actually, I it's thanks to a friend who's now like the founder of um, a startup called Hugging Face, which is quite big right now. Um, he introduced me to a startup studio called eFounders, which is um which launched like different like B2B SaaS. One of them is Fonts, another is Aircall. So at that time, it was 2012, it was really, really small. Um, nobody knew about it, nobody knew about SaaS, but there wasn't a lot of startups in France. So I kind of resigned from a very safe job in management consulting, like a dream job from for people from business school. I remember the partner of McKinsey who like mentored me, told me like, what are you doing? Where, where are you going? Are you going to be paid at least? What's this stuff? Um, so it was quite like a mix of, I wanted to be more on the ground. And as always, it was, it was a matter of like um, connecting with the right people. And I really jumped shaped into a, a world that I didn't really know about, like B2B SaaS. And I joined one of the startup um, e founders, so it was called Navejet. It was acquired by Navegun afterwards. Uh, it was just uh, around Series A, so at that time, like Series A, were like three million <laughs> euros. <laughs> um, and the, I remember the CEO told me, "I don't know what you're, you're going to do, but I know I need like someone to help me. Right. So if you're ready to be a sponge and do like whatever project is useful, uh, yeah, you, you can join me." And I think I just like joined and decided I wanted to learn as much as possible in the, in the tech system. So, yeah. And also I thought I could always go back to consulting if I wanted yeah. quite true. <laughs> yeah. 
interesting uh, and you know you you uh, i work with quanto how how's the whole experience about you know i was fortunate enough to be a part of a, you know hypergrowth startup about what you were the you know the first employee uh, and you know what were some of the important learnings while while growing the company yeah i think one of the so quanto was my third like b2b saas Uh, that I joined, so I was fortunate enough to see like different models, uh, different stages, and I've always felt I've I've spent a lot of time like uh, cleaning data. Uh, you know, when you join like a service like a plus company, and the data like that hasn't been like really thought through because it's never a priority, then at some point there's a debt, and someone has. clean all this data and to you know look uh, look at the tracking look at like how the data modeling is done and that kind of thing so when i joined conto i i feel like i joined free product pre launch but the company wasn't incorporated yet so i thought like as soon as we have product market fit i want to do like a clean like data stack because i never want to spend my nights like like cleaning data anymore so i think like if i hadn't been to like previous startups before i wouldn't have had this like uh, obsessions and i think like having like implemented this data stack like at come to quite early and i was fortunate enough in my team so i led the growth team and at conto that meant like everything around branding partnerships user acquisitions but also like monthly recurring revenue like activation making sure like the apu was high like completely that that was my main goal um and i was i, I was fortunate enough to have engineers on my team who could help with that so so yeah i think that the importance like everybody says that but as soon as you have product market fit i think you need to think about data not not before because it's too soon and it's useless right. as soon as like the pmf is clear like if you if you do like self serve uh if you do like consumer or prosumer i think like data is super important uh but the timing is is important as well i see like over entrepreneurs like implementing a data like when they're like free product market fit and that doesn't really make sense it's it just a waste of time it, it's really interesting but like not useful <laughs> and afterwards it's too late so yeah this is one of the thing i learned um and about the experience it was i think it went really fast so i said three years um so it was pretty productive and then we we hit like 10 million uh annual recurring revenue like quite fast and the team grew really fast um i think it was quite a unique experience as well i just want to emphasize that because we we found like product market fit quite fast it, it really seemed long at the time but it was like a few months but during these months like a lot of people said you're not a banker it will never work i already have a bank there are all these expenses companies are doing like stuff better than you and we were rejected like a lot of time during these months and we iterated a lot on this so um, i also learned like with means even if now it's contest by mainstream so every it's obvious to everyone but i, I will never forget how hard we we got like rejected by a lot of people at the time so this is one thing i learned also about early stage <laughs> So, so super interesting and um, you, you know you uh, you went on to build lago uh, and you know you were um, accepted into y combinator last year what led you to build uh, lago you know you've been into a couple of startups what give you 
the the strength to you know to build something from scratch once again yeah so after Kanto actually I wanted to go to Asia and to Vietnam which is the countries of um, my parents come from Vietnam but I've never lived there and there's a lot of stuff going on in tech there especially in fintech so yeah. it was like a personal project so my husband and I we flew to Asia it was like December 2019 okay um there was a yeah my husband told me that there's a little flu in asia something like this i was like okay whatever okay. and actually it became like covid and you had to go back to france so i was like a bit lost in translation to be totally honest and i think everybody was at that time and i started like freelancing I got some offers from other startups to join them as as an employee, also from VCs. Um, but once again, I think it's a matter of relationship. And like my now co-founder, Kurt Rafi, at Lego, he I met him at Conto as well, and we had a beer together. And he was like, "What what are you doing now?" And I was like, "Really, I don't know. I'm financing, but no, it's great because I'm really I have a lot of free time, but." I know I need to be challenged at some point <laughs> because it's great. I mean, like freelancing is super great when you're because like you can maximize your like freedom. Right. But uh, I think I need a bit of intensity sometimes, and I need a bit of constraints so that I can enjoy being on vacation. Mm. Um, I guess everybody has been on a gap year, really, like kind of knows it at some point. So I was in this phase and he also wanted to build an early stage company. Um, so we decided to yeah, start building together. And like quite quickly, we had like some people we knew who were like talented and we also wanted to build together. So it was, it started with the team. We knew we liked it to be SaaS. We were not really sure about like what we wanted to do. And we knew we wanted to apply to YC for some reason. Um, one of them is, I think, when you do B2B tasks, like the market is more like US-centric. And one, there are like many ways, but one of the, the most straightforward way to access the US market is to like um, to apply to YC. So we had a team, we knew we wanted to do B2B tasks and we knew we wanted to apply to YC. So, like the ideation process was what were the problems we met at Conto while we were like building and growing Conto. And the first thing, as we were quite obsessed with data, the first thing we thought about was to be the data tool for growth teams. So this, this was the idea we applied to YC Wave. Um, and right now, like Lago is a different company right now because we pivoted and I can talk about it. Right now we are like an open source uh, billing API for B2B SaaS, more right. like an open source alternative to charge B. Um, but yeah, at the time it was like a different like ideation process and a different idea for you know. Interesting. And yeah, you know, uh, before the call, I did mention about about Sifto uh, Sifted, and you you written an article about you know uh, startups which are, which are trying to pivot in in Europe, and you know uh, it's more acceptable in in the US. So, what what are your thoughts on you know uh, pivoting a startup, especially uh, you know since you just come out of Y Combinator? What made you think about you know how to how to pivot, and when is the right time for a for a startup to you know look at pivoting to a different sort of a product idea? Yeah, I think pivoting is super hard uh, because, and I think entrepreneurship is hard in general because you never know if you take the right decision. 
So if you pivot too late, then you might not have enough runway. And if you pivot too early, maybe you like you could have continued. And maybe like if you have if you had continued, I don't know, four months, maybe something would have come up. So at some point, it needs to rely on a bit of intuition. So data is great, but at an early stage, it's a lot of like, you don't have a lot of volume of data and you can have feedbacks, but the way you interpret feedback can be like really different. So it's a bit uh, the messy part. And yeah, I know you're going to ask about my favorite book, but one of the book I found really like relevant for this phase is like The Messy Middle from Belsky, which really describes this um, this period where you have a bit of data, but not enough. I mean, uh, you don't know statistics with like thousands of interviews, which are like different each time. Um, so I think what happened is we applied to YC, got in during the batch. The batch is like last three months. So we shipped the product, started monetizing. And what we realized was that the, the persona we were building for, um, which is like very technical growth teams, growth teams where like they're like data engineers embedded in the growth teams. This persona was uh, a, a small market. Usually when a company grows, uh, all the data engineering goes into the data team, which is like attached to the tech team. And, and these um, individuals, what they like um, is more like dev tools and we're building like a local tool. So, being no code wasn't really relevant or different, wasn't really like um, a good thing or, or wasn't like differentiating enough to like break through into this market. So we thought either we'll like become a dev tool uh, for these data engineers or we do something else. So I think we lost conviction, but it was it was a really difficult decision because during office hour at YC, like one of the partners said, wow, you you managed to sell your tool like $500 per month. Yeah, yeah your tool is really young and it's really cranky. He was, he was being honest with us. And that was true. And we still managed to sell it. And um, and he said, like, if you found like these early users, you can find much like many more. But we knew like in the, I don't know, we had like a real talk microphone and we were like, I kind of lost conviction. Like, uh, on this tool. So I think it was more like intuition, but intuition like based on a lot of interviews, thinking of like thinking to hundreds of users and and we, we didn't see ourselves like continuing in this direction. So so yeah, I know it's not um, a straightforward instance, but reality is at early stage it's always messy. So I think the most important thing is how much conviction as a as a founder you have in your idea because everybody is going to say no, you're always going to be rejected. And and we thought, yeah, we were building for a niche and this niche was too small for the ambitions we had as a as a visible company. So yeah. I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Interesting. And, uh, you know, you, you've been in, in the growth role for, for so many years. Uh, and, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are looking at 
how to how to grow the company so you know what are the top marketing skills uh, which you need in order to master growth uh, especially in the you know early stage startup yeah i think a lot of some founders that you know around like seed or before product market fit they so i see a lot of founders like focusing on like should i do seo should i do like paid advertising etc yeah. and asking me who should i hire I yeah. think at this stage, like pre-product market fit, like it's not clear who your persona is. It's not clear what your messaging is. It's not clear what channel will work. So you, you need to have a generalist person who can like try like and iterate on a lot of like different channels. So I think it's like basic like project management skills and also hustler attitude. So I'd say like pre-PMF, you shouldn't hire someone too senior or too specialized. Or if you do so, this person should know that they are going to do like really scrappy thing. Um, like a lot of like calls, a lot of emailing, a lot of demos, a lot of like things that won't work until they found something that works. Um, but after PMF, I'd say it really depends on like what your um, what, what 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 the what the channel um works what which channel works better sorry yeah. um so if it's paid then like higher performance marketer if it's like content or seo hire someone else but the thing is i think they should be a generalist person first and sometimes it's the ceo it's one of the founder and it's the case at lago i mean i'm working on all these things and honestly i'm not a specialist in any of this field but i, I can like test a lot of different things and i can hire specialists to do this um, and after PMF, I think you should have identified two or three channels that work very well and a higher specialist. Um, yeah, so there, there are not like specific tools. I think one other thing I understand about like the terms growth is like you know, the, the growth hacker things. Uh, I think these, are, these don't really work. Like growth is about like being repeatable and being really like data driven and uh and not about like hacking things or like you know scrapping things etc so yeah i yeah and uh, if you want a perfect and and maybe just to finish when, when the company is more mature like after product market fit i think you need some people who write very well i often see like this like um a bit overlooked like the copywriting is very important right um the data like aspect for sure um and also the design aspect i think people are more sensitive to the design now so design for scopy are is really important um and usually people focus on data which is great but yeah the two are super important too because i've seen like a lot of i remember even at contour sometimes we spend a lot of time on building like automated campaigns and then we had to write the copy and i remember i wrote like really like not really good copy because I had to do it in like 20 minutes. Mm. And I remember like thinking that's bad. I mean, because that's the first thing people are going to see. And I'm like, if I don't do it right, then all the, the work of them before is going to be wasted. Mm. Um, so yeah, content marketers are really, really important. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You know, especially uh, copywriting is so important. It's, it's important for the business developing guys also because we, we, we have to do so many cold calling and that's something I'm 
I'm relearning, especially uh, in in the in the new tech company that I'm working for. And you know, I wanted to understand, especially when it when it looks at uh, you know when should a CEO or a founder look at building a growth team? Uh, you know, something which he's never established before. Uh, is it you know should should he should he look at when he already has ten people in the company or he has a product market fit? When do you think is the right time to build a growth team? I think first product market fit. Um, I think so. There are like different um, convictions around this, but I think like it's like first product market fit. Unless you unless your company is like a pure execution play, um, which for for instance, which I was the case at Conto because like I mean it's banking. I be business needs a bank, so. It's not a pure like innovation. They were, we were not like creating a new like use case. It was something that existed but done better. In that case, sometimes if you have money, you can hire like a growth team a bit like ahead of product market fit because you think the product market fit is de risked. But um, in most of the cases, what YC advised, and I think I quite agree, is hire a growth team like after product market fit because. It's the founders who should sell uh, and who should really iterate on like the personas and the messaging. It takes a lot of obsession to iterate on this, and I think it should be founder-led. So it doesn't mean, so for instance, at, at LIGO, we're a team of 10 right now, and we hired someone to go to market, but I work like on a daily basis with him, okay. and we're quite obsessed, like both of us. But I don't like delegate the whole go-to-market team, uh, even if it's like brilliant. But like, I mean, I, I think about this like all day long, like all the time. So yeah, I think it should be fun with it. Interesting. And, you know, suppose a startup already had a product market fit. What, what should a growth team do in the first 90 days? What should be the most important task that they should be able to do? I think um, I think they should identify channels that work. And I think it's more the combination of a persona and a channel. Um, so some personas would be more sensitive to paid and others would be more sensitive to partnerships. So I remember in the early days of Conto, like one surprising person that we found were like Uber drivers. Mm, interesting. And the acquisition channel was through partnerships with like uh, Uber and the equivalents. Um, so yeah, it's a combination of personal and channel. And, um, and I think they should like audit everything, the history of the company in terms of acquisition. So I remember at Conto, I was like crunching like all the leads, like all the time, all the inbounds to see if there were like, there was a, a new segment that was emerging. So sometimes a, a new segment would be like two or three people who would have like the same characteristics. And I would try to see if it's something that can be amplified and is worth it or not. So. That's how I think we found like Uber drivers and we found like people in construction companies as well. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think like before product market fit, we shouldn't document too much. But when there's product market fit, it's worth it to try to like have data points on what happened to see what, what worked well, what didn't work well and try to scale it. There you go. Got it. And, you know, uh, uh, I've been I've done a podcast, I've you know done other things also. Uh, but 
um, I'm always looking at you know different acquisition channels, but uh, but in your experience, what's what's been the best acquisition campaign that you've ever seen? Uh, you know, being the company I've been into or, or any other company. Uh, so I think, yeah, a great acquisition campaign is um is a campaign that like um has a lot like uh gathers a lot of leads and is quite cheap. Like <laughs> um. And I've, the best ones I've seen were like very boring stuff, actually. Like, I think comparison tables work super well. We, we built a comparison like section on the website that compromise works well. I think it works well for a lot of B2B stuff as well. Hmm. Just takes a lot of time. Yeah, it's, um, it's a mix of SEO, like building a lot of content and linking them well and that kind of thing. So it's not shiny, it's not like overnight success, but that's what works super well. And yeah, and it's on our to-do list at LIGO as well to build like a real like comparison section. So we're we're doing it um, on a weekly basis, but yeah. So no, no shiny stuff, but really like basic stuff. Summarize. <laughs> Got it. And, uh, you know, when should, you know, SaaS companies look at expanding into into new markets and moving into different products? I think, yeah, I think when, when you, you're already like market leader or top of mind in one market, maybe it's worth it to look at other markets. And also, I think a lot of companies are just opportunistic, like, they start like seeing demand from other countries or other products and and then they try to expand. So usually it's a lot bottoms up what I've seen. Then you share a different story to the media for sure. You say like yeah, it was a, it was a whole strategy, but the real thing is usually you, you see a couple of requests from a new market or a new like product line and you, you start like thinking about it and trying new things. Yeah. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, there's been a big movement of SaaS uh, in the last 10 years. You know, what do you think is the biggest factor of the SaaS growth uh, in the last couple of years? And I'm sure it's, it has accelerated, especially in the, during the COVID times. But w- w- what do you think is the biggest factor of this growth? I think, um, I think like B2B SaaS like benefited from like the B2C trends. I think it's crazy how like my friends who are not in tech are using a lot of B2B SaaS, uh, B2C, sorry, B2C software. Right. I don't know, like Spotify, Netflix and all, all these kinds of products. So I, I think it, it really helped like uh, B2B as well. I think there's also a trend of around like productivity. I, I'm not saying it's great, but we're always trying to be more productive and that helps us like building more productivity. Um, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think the two trends are are these ones. Um, and I've seen now. I've seen a lot of people like wanting to go to tech as well because it's been like kind of glorified in the media. Even if yeah. there's a downturn now, I've seen a lot of like talent flocking to tech. So that also like contributed to like. Um, software being seen as a great thing. And I think 10 years ago, software was so boring. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah true. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you, you know, you've been kind enough to uh, introduce me to Pierre from, from CLAP. And, I, uh, you know, before the call, we, we did mention about it. You've been an angel investor. You, you start up, especially CLAP. 
and you're also an LP at Orange Fund. Um, so what is your thesis when you look into investing to, into other startups? Yeah, I've invested in a dozen of startups. Um, I started nine years ago. Um, I think I try to invest in uh, where, when I can help. So usually that isn't really good for diversification, but that means like investing in B2B stars and fintech. Um, but I think I don't have a lot of time and I want to be helpful. Uh, I think I wouldn't be happy if I just investing and not trying to help or build a relationship with the founder. So the, the, the easiest way to do it is when I know the industry. Right. So yeah, it's really like around between SaaS and FinTech. And sometimes there are like exceptions uh, when um, I meet like uh, exceptional founders, but usually it's like close friends who are like amazing and I would like whatever they do. Um, so yeah, but usually like between SaaS and FinTech. <laughs> Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Interesting. And uh, you know, you had uh, written another article on Sifted, which was about uh, Web two and Web three, where you mentioned that you know there's there's not there's no not a big market for for crypto, but you can learn, learn a lot from the hiring tactics and how how they market it. Uh, so you know, uh, what what was your entire learning? You know, when you're trying to build something in Web three. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I didn't. I think I didn't write like that. That there wasn't like a big market in crypto. I think crypto can be super big. Um, the the story is when we pivoted, we uh, explored different ideas, and one of them was around Web three, whatever that means. Uh, and um, so, so I told my co-founder, "Listen, we don't know a thing about Web three except that you you bought one Bitcoin, I have one, and that, that kind of thing." So. Not even one, like like yeah, some some cryptos. And right. um, so, so I told him, let's explore it. I'm trying to join uh, different DAOs. I will try to be an active member. I will like really explore the market, but immerse myself and see if uh, there's an opportunity for us. So um, yeah, and I think I'm I'm not a crypto enthusiast. That was one of the conclusions. Um, I think I I need to see like use cases, yeah. and I think it's too early in the cycle to see a lot of use cases. But I've seen like super interesting use cases in fintech, especially for populations that are underbanked, which uh, really resonates with my first experience in Africa. Right. So I've seen like exciting companies using stable coins for like international remittances, uh, like, like uh, Shiba Cash, for instance, and there are a lot of them. Um, this is one use case that really resonates with me. And for the other ones, I I wasn't sure there was a use case. I, I've seen a lot of people really enthusiastic about like um, everything being decentralized um, and like permissionless and that kind of things. But it's not really it's not really the case yet. I mean, if I can take an example about like boonties in DAOs. 
So the, the concept is um, when you contribute to the DAO, you get uh, a token. I, I'm really oversimplifying it, but that's the one of the like uh, things you can do with tokens. Um, but the point is, there's a, 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 a someone like a person who's going to decide like which task like um, gives how many tokens, for instance. And one person is going to say yes, you've done the task, or you haven't done the task well. So it's kind of like uh, decentralized, or like every everybody's an owner, but there's still a lot of like um, human intervention, which is normal because it's early in the cycle. Right. But yeah, I've seen a lot of gaps. And I, once again, it's not a, I, I don't want to be critical about it. I think it's really early in the cycle and every innovation has its own cycle. But I've seen a lot of gap between the ideology and uh, the reality of what it is right now in the DAOs. And, and so I wasn't, I didn't have enough internal conviction uh, to, to go all in uh, cryptos. But I've seen a I wanted to believe in it because I've seen like so many smart people like being super enthusiastic and going like leaving like great jobs to go into Web3. Right. So that, that's what that was really like um, exciting to see. And you can, I'm, I'm still wondering, am I too, I don't know, too down to earth, too Web2, too boomer, too, <laughs> to go to crypto. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was my experience. Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh... The, the lot of uh, really good startups which are coming out of out of Europe. What, what are your thoughts on the on the French mm -hmm. startup ecosystem? Where, where do you think you know? You, do you think a lot of unicorns could come out of out of the France? Uh, of, you know, startup ecosystem. I've seen yeah, there are a lot of like startups from France. I think France is uh, on fire, and I've seen um, there are a lot of like people who left France and who built like amazing companies as well. Uh, global companies like there's front uh, from uh, Mathieu Ponant, uh, Algoria, uh, Hugging Face, like all these companies are amazing and known like worldwide and um, built by French people. So that's really inspiring for um, the French ecosystem. So uh, I think it really matured in 10 years. Right. Um, but what, I, what I'm also seeing, and maybe we're an, we're an example of it, is uh, that a lot of French people actually leave France. Uh -huh. <laughs> so they end up, maybe it's going to change because COVID, but uh, a lot of people end up like live um, uh, in the US. Mm. So, so we are, I mean, like Nicolas from Algoria lives in the US now, Mathieu lives in the US, like Clément from Hugging Face as well. So, so yeah. Maybe there are, it's going to change, but um, but yeah, so uh, amazing entrepreneurs. A lot of them like end up like living in the US, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've seen that with, with the Indian startup ecosystem as well. You know, uh, yeah. you're such a such a big market. They want to capture the biggest market, and then you know, uh, yeah. But in India, I'm, in India, it's a big market already. Maybe that's yeah. different, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. interesting. And, uh, and I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? I think, so I, I love a lot of books, but the one that resonated the most with the early stage phase was uh, The Messy Middle by um, Spadbarski. Yeah. So I really, 
I had some notes and I shared it with my teams that, and it was really interesting to have perspective as well. Mm, got it. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And, you know, so if you could go back in time when you started Lago, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I think we thought about it a lot. Like today we think we should have started with our current product. So we open source building API for B2B SaaS. And we thought about like, maybe maybe it was our journey to go through the first product and to switch to the second one. Um, But if I had to do it again, I'd go like directly to the second product. And so what happened with the first product is we built the product we wanted ourselves at Contour. So the no-code data tool for growth teams. But we didn't think about uh, like the persona that we were at Contour, like the growth team, like really data-driven with engineers embedded in the team. Uh, Is this a big market or not? So we didn't really think uh, think this through. And um, so on one side, I think you can't think everything through. You, the best thing is like just to launch as, as soon as you, as you can and to see how the market responds to it. But yeah, in, retro, in retro, retrospective, maybe I should have thought about it. And I think also we, we thought we could change the market. Um, yeah. like making like growth teams much more data-driven, like uh, empowering the growth team to be like like data engineers. But I think you, you can't really fight like the market trends. So the market trend is data is managed um, by the data engineers in the tech team. That's how it works right now. Maybe I can change it, but it's really hard to change it. So I, 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 I will care more about like the market trends and the waves um, um, more, more than like focusing on like one pain that we really experimented. Yeah, I think one of the big learning to summarize is I don't know where I read it, but I can find the article. It's about like a great team on a bad wave will fail. Yeah. Uh, but like an average team on the right wave will succeed. So it it's. Yeah, yeah, it seems simple, but it, it's quite hard to like to, to execute on that. But that's something I have in mind all the time. Like, is there like a great wave I can ride? Is the timing right, right or not? So some companies like create their own timing, and right. that's really like exceptional. And I think, for instance, Front uh, they created their own timing, and that's amazing. So that's like, exceptional, but. It's much easier if you identify a trend and then you write it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're quite obsessed by this. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, do, you, do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Snacks, or Notion? Yeah, I go with, so I discovered, I I think it's Eleanor from Sifted. She uh, introduced me to a wellness tool called Open. Okay. So it's about like yoga, meditation. It was born in California. So for some reasons, like Californians do like wellness apps like so well. I don't know why we can't reproduce this in Europe, but they do it like better. Yeah. So I really recommend it. But like um, thousands of like wellness apps, but this one is really like stunning. It's called Open App, is it? Yeah. Open as app. Okay. Open, yeah, with hyphens between them. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Interesting. I can, I can send it to you. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. And um, 
Uh, and and uh, what are the best way people can reach out to you and, and know more about Lago? Sure. So we have the website. It's getlago.com, and I'm available on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, so you can reach out to me. Like, yeah, just DM me. Uh, my DMs are open. And I'm happy to talk about like any aspect of like founding a company, angel investing, doing for the bad growth, bidding and pricing for sure. So yeah, happy to talk. Got it. We'll put that in our show notes. Uh, and thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.